Hello, everybody. This is Richard Hash from Battlestar Galactica, Captain Apollo from the original, and Tom Zarek in the new and reimagined version. And I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 130, and I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. On Screen and Beyond is your weekly look into remakes, sequels, upcoming movies, TV and movie DVD releases, and, of course, our interview segment with a guest from the TV, movie, or music industry. This week, Apollo from Battlestar Galactica. Richard Hatch is going to be joining us, and he's going to talk about Battlestar Galactica, the original, the remake, and the movie that's going to be coming out, and also Streets of San Francisco that he was on, and all sorts of stuff that he was involved with. It's all coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So stick around. You know you're going to enjoy that one. And we also want to let you know that we have teamed up with Redbox for an I Am Iron Man contest. On Screen and Beyond and Redbox have teamed up to celebrate the DVD and Blu-ray release of Iron Man 2, which is going to be available on Tuesday, September 28th at all 24,000 Red box locations nationwide on dvd for a buck and on blu-ray for a buck 50 a night and you can reserve your copy through redbox.com if you want or you can use the iphone app that they have from redbox and it makes it a lot easier to do your rental and in celebration of one billion that's right one billion movies redbox is giving Everyone that rents a movie in September, a free rental, so hurry and take advantage of that. And our contest will give you a chance for a free rental from Redbox. And all you have to do, it's very simple. All you have to do is answer one of these Iron Man 2 trivia questions. All the correct answers will be put in a random drawing, and you'll have a chance to win. That's right. That's all. Simple as that. You need to answer one question correctly. We're going to give you a bunch of them. But... You may answer more than one if you want. It'll increase your chances, okay? So for every one you answer correctly, you're going to have another chance to win in the drawing, okay? So that'll increase your chances. All entries must be received by Thursday, September 30th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Winners will be drawn at random from all correct answers and will be notified by email. Please include your name, your city, and your state. Okay, you don't have to give us your address. Just uh, we're just curious about where your city and state is, and uh, you'll be notified by email. And the prizes will come directly from Redbox, so you don't have to uh, worry about that. And let's see here the questions. Okay, you can also go to onscreenbeyond.com if you don't remember all these things, and we'll have them listed there on the front page. So, but the questions are: Tony Shark attended what college? At the young age of 15. That's question number one. Number two. In what year did the first full-length Iron Man comic come out? In Number three. In what future three films is Robert Downey Jr. slated to play Iron Man? And what band is featured in the Iron Man 2 soundtrack? Next question. Mickey Rourke plays what famous villain... In Iron Man 2. And the final question. Director John Favreau plays what role in Iron Man and Iron Man 2? Okay. 
So those are the questions, and like I said, you can also go to onscreenorbeyond.com and you have those there. Send us an email with your answers, if you've got them correct. Each one will be put into a drawing, okay? So the more you answer, the more chances you have of winning. And uh, we will keep you informed on that. So uh, I think it's time now to get into Remake Madness. And Richard Hatch will be coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So stick around. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, it looks like Legendary Pictures is setting out to remake John Milton's Paradise Lost book. It's going to be put onto the big screen as a big screen epic, and they say possibly in 3D. Now, I don't know why they're telling us possibly, because you know the way things are now, everything comes out in 3D, but we'll see what happens. And the kids' cartoon Voltron may be headed for a big screen remake, and Warner Brothers has a live-action version of Pinocchio in the works. And, of course, it's been done many times in the past, but uh, none has matched the classic Disney masterpiece, Pinocchio. We'll see what happens with that. That's about it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen to Beyond, upcoming movies. Upcoming movies, well, it looks like Sasha Baron Cohen will play Queen's lead singer Freddie Mercury in a biopic about the group, and Nicolas Cage will star in Trespass in 2011 about a couple who are held for ransom. And also in 2011, look for Immortals with Mickey Rourke and John Hurt. Rourke will play King Hyperon. That's about it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels from On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, it looks like Mission Impossible 4 with Tom Cruise. We've talked about it a lot in the past, but it will start filming this December, and it will finish around March of 2011. And it will hit theaters on December 16th, 2011. And Ghost Rider 2 now has an official release date also. Look for it on February of 2012. And Iron Man 3 also has an official release date of 2012. And that's what they're planning on right now, anyways. And that's about it for sequels from On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, December 7th, you can look for Dragnet 1969 Season 3 as it arrives on DVD. And Jack Webb and Henry Morgan are the stars of that. On November 23rd, you can look for 7th Heaven Season 11. And it's also the final season as it comes to DVD with 22 episodes. And on November 16th, Perry Mason, the 5th Season, Volume 2, lands in stores in a 4-disc set. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hulu. 
movies on DVD. Well, September 28th, you can look for Cat City with Julian Sands and Brian Dennehy as it comes to DVD. It's a crime thriller. You should probably like that one. And let's see, Language of the Enemy, starring Academy Award winner F. Murray Abraham, lands on DVD on October 12th. And also on October 12th, look for Circle in a thriller starring Salas Weir Mitchell. Gail O'Grady, and America Olivo. And that's it for upcoming movies on DVD from On Screen or Beyond. Coming up next, we are going to have our interview with Richard Hatch. That's right, Apollo from Battlestar Galactica is going to be joining us. And, of course, he was in a lot of other things. He's going to talk about all of that. Streets of San Francisco, the Battlestar Galactica old, Battlestar Galactica new, and everything in between, and even the new Battlestar Galactica movie that's being worked on. So we'll find out about all those things, and it's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is a Golden Globe-nominated actor who is known for such roles as Philip Brent on All My Children, Inspector Dan Robbins on The Streets of San Francisco, and of course, Apollo on the original Battlestar Galactica, just to name a few. It's Richard Hatch. Richard, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hey, it's great to be here. Richard, you know, I I was looking over your bio and things you have done, and one thing I noticed was that you actually did more episodes of the streets of San Francisco than you did Battlestar Galactica, of either one? Is that true? Um, no, actually, I think the truth is I, I just, uh, as you know, played Tom Zarek in the new reimagined version of Battlestar, mm-hmm. and I played the same number of episodes on the new show playing Tom Zarek as I did Captain Apollo right. in the one season back in 1978-79. Um, in terms of streets, I think it's about the same number a season in these days is usually 21 22 episodes you know although now the sci-fi channel breaks it all up you know they'll do half a season and half a season so it gets a little confusing the right. normal seasons used to be 21 22 23 shows so those are pr- pr- pretty much what um i did on both both uh, the new Battlestar, the old Battlestar, and on streets so i think it's pretty even yeah, because, you know, like I say, I was looking at it, it said it, it, the information on IMDb was that you had 24 of streets and 22 of each Battlestar. Oh, which, well, I, like, who knows? You know something? <laughs> I wouldn't trust everything that you read. That's true. Hear, That's why I ask. <laughs> or, or, you know, <laughs> thousands of mistakes are made. But it's, not, it's no big deal. I mean, if, if I, as far as I know, I only did 21, 22 episodes. Mm-hmm. If I did 24 and they owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but it's, but send it to me. Send it to me. You know, with a postage stamp. You know, just get it out the door. Get it over here. I could use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but you know, it's funny how people do uh, either the same amount of a, of different shows, or sometimes even many more episodes. But they're always remembered for one particular more so than the others. And of course, Apollo. Uh, is just, you know, it, that is in the hearts of so many people. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, well, you know, Battlestar, um, the original, was back in a time and age when uh, there were not 4,000 channels on, on the air. True. And so, you know, your audience was divided mainly between the ABC, CBS, NBC, 
and the audience was quite big. I mean, uh, Battlestar, we had 65 million people watching, um, especially the, the first episode. And, you know, we were somewhere in the uh, probably the 30s, 30 million. But, you know, today, a number one rated show would be somewhere around 24, 25, 26 million people. And if they get 30 million, they'd be very, very lucky. Mm, yeah. So, you know, it's a different age and different time. But the point is, a lot of people saw the original Battlestar and... I think uh, because of the success of Star Wars and the fact that it reached across, you know, normal uh, demographic de demographic lines in terms of age, background, cultures, and also uh, genres. I mean, a lot of people who never liked sci-fi or never thought about sci-fi got into Star Wars, and the same thing happened with Battlestar. So we had a lot of people, you know, watching the show, and the show was very much about family, mm -hmm. extended yeah. family, and camaraderie, you know, the, you know, Sundance, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid right. type of chemistry, you know, with the Starbuck Apollo character. So I think a lot of people grew up really falling in love, <clears throat> excuse me, with the original Battlestar, and uh, obviously loved the chemistry between... I think Apollo and his father Adama played by, you know, an icon in television. Oh, yeah. You know, from Bonanza Days, Long Green. And again, I think, you know, who doesn't love a good father son story or a good buddy buddy story? And then we had the third equation of that part of the equation, which is we had really strong, really dynamic women, beautiful women on the show mm -hmm. who could take care of themselves, and uh, but were still, you know, hot and sexy, but still were very independent and, and, uh, and, intelligent and capable so kind of we were uh, we we kind of had a little bit of everything uh, oh, yeah. back then so i think we uh you know even though maybe we didn't have um couldn't go into more complex deeper stories that i think the show the story was all about we still were able to uh i think entertain the public and and basically um, had a lot of very, very dedicated fans who really fell in love with the, the story, the backstory, the, you know, the epic archetypal journeys, Moses and the Israelites, you know, mm -hmm. traveling across the universe, searching for a new homeland, yep. um, all that stuff. I think a lot of people really got into it. So it was, it was a great ride. It just should have been on for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, so, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was a swashbuckler type, you know, thing. And, um, you know, the new one, nothing against the new one, but uh, it, it was very different. They took a different route on it. It's definitely a, a different show. Um, well, the first show, remember, it was back in a time frame when they didn't really like sci-fi. The networks didn't understand sci-fi. Mm -hmm. They didn't get it, which is probably the reason why we went off the air. Um, and plus, they didn't want to be too provocative or too edgy. The yeah. new show, for me, is very much the Battlestar Galactica core story. Um, you know, you, you couldn't do it the way you did it 30 years ago. Right. Because the audience is far more sophisticated, and they're far more, they, they need more substance. There needs to be more complexity. Um, and I think, uh, what's the word, uh, more uh, more cutting-edge drama, mm -hmm. and I think that, uh, you know, this story basically was written for that. So, you know, we, we kind of danced around with that 30 years ago and, and had a great time and great chemistry, and, and there was a lot of fun involved in it, and it, it touched upon the story here and there, but the new story, I think, went very deeply into the core story. Mm -hmm. But it was very much still, for me, both shows are very much Battlestar Galactic. I don't see one as being so different in the sense that it's a different story. It's very much what the story was always all about. Right. It's just that 
we we couldn't, to tell you the truth, we couldn't do all the things we wanted to do 30 years ago. The network wouldn't let us. Uh, the network today let them let the new group of uh, producers, writers, to really kind of give them carte blanche to kind of really go as deeply into the story as they wanted, to be as dark as they wanted. And again, you know, it's it's uh, everybody has their cup of tea. I mean, I I love the original Star Wars, and some of the younger kids love the new Star Wars, and I thought the new Star Wars basically sucked. Yep. <laughs> uh, because it just, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it just, it just didn't, it lacked the chemistry. Yeah. It lacked, you know, it had all the graphics and some really cool visuals. And uh, and it wasn't that the story was so bad. For me, it, it just wasn't very well, you know, um, acted or very well written. I, I just felt that, you know, it, it's a great story. I'm a huge uh, Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. But it was very disappointing for me to... The, the new three shows, but the original, I mean, I just love the chemistry of the characters. The, right, yeah. You know, the the whole mystique of it, there was something very cool about that, and uh, again, like I said, Battlestar captured me the same way, uh, but but I felt Battlestar, you know, had just as good of a story as, as Star Wars did, and uh, the mythology and the backstory and the underlying, mm-hmm. you know, subtext of the, of the piece was really quite, I think, profound, and Again, we did touch upon it in the original show, but the new show went more deeply into that. And obviously, some people like things darker. Some people like things a little more on the surface, you know. Yeah. They like a little more fun with it. But I always tell people I love both shows for different reasons. Yeah. And and you can't compare two shows done in two different decades, 30 years apart. Uh, it's impossible. So you do a disservice to, to judge one you know, to judge them. You really have to look at them for, for, for what they accomplished. And certainly the original Battlestar did some extraordinary things against really fierce competition. Mm-hmm. And the new Battlestar obviously got critical acclaim oh, yeah. uh, in a way that very few sci-fi shows get. So, you know, it's kind of nice to see Battlestar kind of get taken seriously after 30 years because so many people like to put down Battlestar, uh, you know. And uh, and yet there are some pretty dedicated fans out there, including me. Oh yeah, that's know? for sure. So, what can you say? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Battlestar in a minute, but um, I want to get more into you as the actor. Oh no, not me! <laughs> Anything but me. Let's get into anybody else on the show. I'm, I'm really good at doing that. What? I have all the dirt. I'll, I'll share any inside story with you. I don't care. I'll decimate. Everybody, as long as it doesn't come back to me. <laughs> well, we're, I was just wondering, how did you start in acting? Was it something that you were looking for to do, or did it, you know... Oh, is that what we were doing on the show? Acting? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, the, uh, the Well, acting to me was always a... Well, again, I tell, I, I've told this many times, but it is a spiritual journey for me. I never expected to be on TV or movies. I went to an acting class because I was the most uptight, inhibited, scared, shy, um, what can I say? I mean, I, I had some very traumatic things happen in my childhood, and it kind of locked me up, and I was in this deep abyss looking for a way out, and I ended up going, reading every philosophy book, studying every religion. Um, ultimately, somebody sent me to the Eric Morris Actors Workshop, and there was a sign over the door that said, No acting, please. And I thought, that's a very interesting moniker for an acting class. And yeah. I discovered that the class was followed the method, but it was Stanislavski, but in a, even a more evolved way. I mean, Eric had taken it to an even more specific process, 
but more than anything, the process that Stanislavski developed was not just for actors. It was for life. It was for people. It was to help us break through all the walls and blocks that separate us from who we are. We build up walls and blocks every time we get hurt, every time we have a bad experience. People tend to uh, move into what John Bradshaw calls states of abandonment. And all I can tell you is that acting is not about faking it or pretending or being a good liar. Acting, the, the, the real gut-level core process of acting is about creating hypothetical possibilities with your imagination. You use, real you use your own history of everything you've ever learned, everything you've ever done you can pull in, but you also, you're always exploring a hypothetical possibility or premise as if it were true and allowing yourself to build a reality uh, by choosing to believe what if this was true, how would it affect me, how would I feel, and then letting yourself step into that hypothetical reality that you create with your imagination and begin to let it affect you on, a, on an organic level and, and have an organic response to it so that your acting is being very honest and very true. Um, every actor has their own process and way of doing that. Some, some work, you know, have a process. Some just kind of, they, their instrument responds to material in a really powerful way and they don't have to work as hard. Most people have to find a process because they tend to kind of stay on the surface because they, they're afraid to go too deep or to let the material in too deep. They're afraid to feel too much. Mm -hmm. so, and that's what mo I would say most people don't, are not comfortable with their own emotions and feelings. And actors have to learn to really, you know, play the full gamut of emotion depending on what the character's circumstance or what's going on in the scene. You've got to be able to touch and tap into very profound areas inside of yourself. So it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of guts. Takes a lot of creativity. Takes a big imagination. I'm sure. And yes. that childlike willingness to believe, because that's really the powerful tool of the actor, is the willingness to buy in to a choice you make about what you believe uh, is happening in the scene, what you create, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the scene as a hypothetical possibility. You you create a circumstance, you create the relationship, then you build it with your imagination, and then you step into that. Uh, and you allow it to affect you on a moment-to-moment, -moment, you know, organic level. And it, again, it's uh, it's a powerful process. And so for me, it it uh, it really helped me grow and heal as a human being. Hmm. And then it turned into an art that yeah. it, uh, ultimately took me into the business, which is something I never expected. No, uh, I would be the last person I think anybody would have ever thought would end up on television or in the movies or any of the things I've done. <laughs> I'm sure my a lot of the my friends would have told you. You know, although I will say from probably grade one through three until about the fourth grade when I kind of had a bad experience, I was a pretty outgoing kid, very funny, telling jokes, doing stand-up comedy. Mm. And then in the fourth grade, I got shamed by a teacher, and then I became the opposite, very introverted, very uh. Uh, inhibited, very locked up, you know, just mm. lots of deep psychological issues. I don't think teachers sometimes know how their words can be taken by a student oh, or, yeah. or parents sometimes. You're not aware of how deeply we can wound somebody by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Now, was uh, All My Children your first TV role? Um, no, I, you know, I started out kind of, I was going to acting class, and I was a surfer going to college, not knowing what I was going to do, and then uh, dating a girl that lived up in Hollywood, and started meeting a lot of people in the business and finally kind of made some friends with a 
couple of disc jockeys on a radio show, and, and this guy named Elliot Mintz recommended that I go to the acting class. So it was kind of, I, I didn't know what to expect leading myself over there, but uh, uh, I, uh, I kind of was on a search, kind of on a search for, for who I was and where I really wanted to go in my life and dealing with, you know, parents that were kind of separated and going through, uh, you know, divorce and all the painful stuff that goes along with that. And so I was searching for some kind of sanctuary and that kind of slowly kind of, I think, led me on a journey that ultimately led into the acting thing and then uh, on to all the other stuff I do. What was the question you gave me? <laughs> I think I forgot what it was. All My Children. Was that all your first role? So, yeah, All My Children. So it led me It led me into, you know, doing plays around town, and then ultimately it led me uh, to join this acting troupe that moved back to New York uh, in 1969, and we were doing one-act plays and poetry readings and Shakespeare, and I had also done, just prior to going back to New York, the modeling and TV commercials. So I did mm -hmm. some TV commercials, modeling, and a couple of documentaries. They cast me in, and then the, All My Children was my, really my first big acting break. Yeah, yeah. And now uh, we had some emails. I, I, I had posted on the site that you were going to be a guest and people could send in some questions, so I picked a few to ask you. Yep. And this one deals with All My Children. Um, Cheryl from Florida. She says, uh, Richard, why did you leave all my children? What because, happened there? Uh, well, n number one, I thought about that long and hard after I left because, to tell you the truth, um, I had such fond memories of my time and all my children. I loved the family of actors there. I became very good friends. We hung out after work. We, we became a real family, and family always meant a lot to me. Um, I didn't have as much of that in my own life, so I really appreciated it, you know, in, an ex in the extended family way. Um, but I, I think I was always looking for, I was always hungry for more challenge. And after I'd been on the soap for uh, two years, I had been going out to Hollywood, which is where I was from. Mm -hmm. All my friends were out there, and I had gone out and auditioned for a few things, which I got, Room 222. Yeah. Uh, I guess start on there. Um, and had a great experience, and then I had lots of agents and managers that I had actually met prior to leaving for New York. They kept saying, "Why are you going to New York? Why are you going there?" You know, and I had, I needed to go. I needed to learn about life, about myself. I needed to, to find. I wanted to go. I love New York. I love the, the art of acting. It's something I had fallen in love with, and I wanted to go where I felt serious actors were, were training and, and doing their craft, mm -hmm. and. Uh, so, but after I got to New York and I got into an off-Broadway musical and I was studying and I spent three years there, almost four, I was hungry to do something like I wanted to see if I could get into a, a nighttime series or, a, or movies or, or get movies of the week. I wanted to challenge myself to do some additional projects, which is what every actor wants right. to do, is yeah. to build their career. So ultimately, I was the first guy. My contract was up after two years. And uh, I left and went back to L.A., hmm. you know. Yeah. But uh, not because I hated the, you know, I wasn't tired of Philip Brown. I loved playing that role, loved the family, and, and sometimes I think back, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I wish I'd stayed on there another year or two because I, it, I had such a great time. And honestly, out in Hollywood, I mean, I had a lot of fun, met a lot of people, but I went through some pretty up-and-down painful periods and challenging periods and 
it wasn't all that easy, I have to, to admit. Hmm. And it yeah. kind of uh, made me think back to, my God, I felt so appreciated and so wanted and so loved and valued when I was in New York. Yeah. And here I was in Hollywood, and it was just a crazy world, uh, up and down world, and, uh, you know, um, challenging, you know, breaking in, trying to get roles. But, I mean, there was also fun and some exciting moments, too, um, getting some guest starring roles on shows and ultimately, you know, getting to watch your career build. But at the same time, the pressure, the expectation, all the stuff, I guess, that that comes into this business, you know, started affecting me there. So it, it made me long a little bit for the old days in, in New York City where I kind of felt, isn't that funny? New York is a pretty wild place. Yeah. <laughs> I felt, uh, you know, I felt safer uh, because I felt surrounded by a by a family that had that I had grown to love and who loved me. And mm-hmm. I was on a show where I was I was valued. And it was just nice to be have a home. And I guess because... In L.A., I didn't. I wasn't on a series. I was basically going up for auditions and get a job, don't get a job, you know. And you have to deal with a lot of rejection. Oh and, yeah. You know, it's one thing when you're on a show and, and you get offered stuff, which is so great. Yeah. But when you're just auditioning week to week with lots of other people, and you know, I mean, you probably lose more shows than you ever get. So you have to deal with a lot of rejection and a lot of feeling of, you know, nobody understands or gets me or depreciates me. And, right. You know, it's all that up and down craziness that really challenges your core of your soul. I always call the acting, going after an acting career or a career in the arts, is like the acid test of your soul because it will test you on every level. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I don't bemoan having gone because I certainly went through a powerful journey. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what I'm capable of doing and. You know, I've been in this business over 40 years now, so... Yeah. Now, after you left All My you Children, you, you were in, you know, naturally, like you said, you did a lot of guest-starring roles, um, but then, then of course, uh, The Streets of San Francisco came along, and we have an email that uh, somebody asked a question about that. This is John yeah. from England, yeah. and he emailed us saying, um, was it difficult to take on the role of Inspector Dan Robbins on the streets of San Francisco with Kyle Malden after Michael Douglas left? Oh, it was very, very challenging because, uh, you know, when two when there's partners on a show, Starsky and Hutch, think of any other show where right. there's two guys or two women or whatever it happens to be, and they've built up a chemistry. And mm-hmm. in this case, Michael had really kind of been mentored and I think uh, brought to uh, maturation through working with um, Carl Malden on that show, and after four years, they really had a tight, tight personal relationship, mm-hmm. and they also had a great chemistry on screen, and, uh, you know, the, the thought of replacing them, him, right. on the show, even though I wasn't playing the same character, mm-hmm. was very, very intimidating and threatening. It was probably sure. one of the scariest things I ever did was, like, moving on to that show with Carl Malden and all the expectation and pressure from the network, and... You know, it really kind of screwed me up there for uh, for a few weeks. I mean, I was just terrified of, you know, thinking, oh, my God, they're going to fire me any moment. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to make it. And uh, having to kind of fight my way through all my deepest fears, which every actor and everybody has, but it, everything gets magnified in this business where the stakes sometimes seem higher. They're paying you a lot of money, and the expectation is high, and it it really will test you. And like I said... You know, I wasn't the most secure person in the room, so I mean, I, I had some very deep 
insecurities and issue, fear issues that I've had to struggle with from the time I was a kid, and that's not rational, it's not logical, it's not based on anything other than what happens to us usually in our very early years. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Barbara Streisand used to talk about getting sick before going on a performance. You'd get terrified, you think, how does somebody that talented get scared about right. going out in front of the audience after all the success she's had? It's not rational. So I, I, that's why I kind of went through every form of therapy, studied every religion, every philosophy, and I was constantly working on myself because it was not easy. Being in the business and helping to get out of my own way and really unlock my talent and connect the material and not let all the issues, personal issues, get in the way, all that stuff really put me through the ringer. And, I, and, sure. and it's one of the reasons why I teach and lecture all over the country, universities, colleges. I do four-day boot camps to inspire people because I know what I've gone through and I share the journey, and I share what I've learned the hard way, and I really, I really love inspiring people because I know there's some very talented, gifted people out in the world who are holding back because of one issue or another, one fear or another, insecurity, God knows what. And sometimes all it takes is somebody to be there who understands, who supports you, mentors you. Nobody can do it for you, but, you know, someone there with the right words at the right time can make all the difference. Um, so I try to, you know, I try to inspire people, as many people as I can, because I just, I, I know how, what can happen to people and how so many people who have so much to offer are locked away in some of this. You know, I think uh, Thoreau always said, uh, most men and women live lives of quiet desperation, you know, mm-hmm. and so many people are working in jobs they're not gifted for, they're in relationships, they're not working, they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, they don't feel valued in, in their work or in their personal relationship and so I, I think I kind of through my search you know that took me through like I said every philosophy every book every religion uh, and it and it all boils down to you know for me a spiritual thing uh, you know my, my relationship to God and I don't follow a religion but I I talk to God all the time and 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 I pray and I go within and I really listen and I let God guide me, and so for me, you know, I'm, I'm constantly. I see life as a spiritual process, and so every time that I, I can, uh, every every job, every opportunity that comes up is another opportunity for me to, what's the word? Surrender, trust, have faith, let go, uh, get out of the way, and uh, show up and be fully present in the moment, mm-hmm. because then you can do extraordinary things. And it's not only worked in my acting. But it's worked in my business and everything that I do, building relationships and going out there and finding success in the world. So, again, I, I love I love sharing uh, what I've learned. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, uh, you know, immediately after um, Streets of San Francisco, al- almost immediately, you went right into Battlestar. Um, yeah. How did you get the part of being Apollo? Um, well, I, I right after um, Streets, I did 
a class of 65, which was an ongoing anthology series. And uh, there were two-hour movies, but they did them every week. And I was cast as a coach in uh, the class of 65, where Rosanna Arquette was a young student. She was 18 years old. It was her first, I think, big role. And uh, anyway, I, uh, I did that part. And um, when they were casting for Battlestar, I had actually turned down the audition because I I just thought it just seemed so overhyped and the biggest, most expensive production in TV history. And it, it just seemed like, you know, even though I love science fiction, I just felt that they probably were going to do a cheesy, some corny thing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I really turned it down because I was a very idealistic actor and I wanted to act. I wanted serious, challenging roles to play. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, the fame was not what I was ever after. I mean, I never felt comfortable with the fame until much later because that just never made sense to me. It was kind of like, Jesus, people recognize me? You know, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing, and probably every actor has this story about fame and how it affects them. But uh, again, I turned down the role, and then they, the director, producer, Glenn Larson, who had, I guess they had auditioned everybody and not found the actor they were looking for, and he, he saw a class of 65 that I was in, and he wanted me. Mm. So yeah. we had a meeting for lunch, and they offered me the role, and uh, I was still not sure I was going to do it, but I have to admit that the script and the artwork by Ralph McQuarrie uh, really kind of blew me away, and ultimately I said yes at the last minute. And uh, basically the deal was done the same day that I got asked to drive over to the set, jump into costumes, and film my first scene. Now, was it a very demanding role as far as uh, physically demanding for you? No, very physically because, I mean, we were, you know, we had lots of lines to learn, um, and we, we, the, the shooting schedule was very, very long, sometimes overnight shoots on mm -hmm. the back lot of Universal. Um, it was taking 10 to 12 days per episode. Uh, I would say it was physically, mentally, emotionally demanding on every level mm, yeah. it was not an easy shoot and yet thank god we had such a great crew and we had a great wonderful group of um, actors and producers on the show and we all got along and it was such a blessing to be with warren green and to have him as a kind of a surrogate father you know did you was, did you yeah. enjoy him from bonanza uh, I was a big bonanza everybody grew up with bonanza, right yeah so <laughs> here here is like the quintessential father that every kid probably wants right. wanted for their father and here he is being my father but more than that as a friend he became a father to everybody in the cast really we yeah. all became part of his family and went to his house his parties his birthday parties his bar mitzvahs christmas this that didn't matter what it was yeah we were all part of that family and again that was what I loved the most, the whole sense of family. And Battlestar was about family. Mm -hmm, yeah. And that's another reason why I loved it. I fell in love with the story, the Battlestar story. Yeah, yeah. We got another email from uh, Stephen in Michigan. He said, Richard, were you and Dirk Benedict uh, friends on screen, uh, off screen, as well as on screen? Um, we were friends, but we didn't hang out uh, off screen. I think the trouble was that Prior to Battlestar, our character, our, our, we as actors had been competitive for many roles. Um, and I think that uh, that natural underlying competitiveness kind of made it challenging to become friends off, off camera. Mm -hmm. But we were friends on camera, and we were friends on the set, and we got along. And 
there was no problem or no issue between the two of us. But yeah. we we didn't hang out a lot off the set. I I uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody from the show. Other Lauren Green is really what unified everybody because he brought everybody together. Hmm. So we all hung out at his house as a group. But individually, I don't think there was anybody on the show that I actually palled around with. I'm yeah. trying to think. Oh, oh, yeah, there was one. My friend Jack Stauffer that came on and played Bojay. I had been on All My Children. He played Chuck. I played a, a Philip. And we were best friends on the soap. And we uh-huh. were good buddies. <laughs> so when he was on the show, we hung out a lot. So, uh, I, you know, that was the one guy probably on the show that I hung out with the most. Hmm. Now, now, there's been a lot of stirrings going on about uh, Glenn Larson is working on a new film of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, um, any idea what direction he's going to take it? I mean, whichever way he goes, he's going to sort of, uh, you know, make somebody not very happy, either the people who like the I new know. version or the old version. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've said this before, and look, uh, I, I've learned that anything is possible, and every time I get judgmental or critical about anything, I realize 99% of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> um, you know, so anything is possible. The, the, but the big challenge is this. Bringing back a show like Battlestar, a classic like that, that it's so fondly remembered in fans, and then reimagining it, to me, was an impossible feat, because no matter how well you do it, fans don't like to see things that they love change. Right. And when you change the characters and the actors and all that kind of stuff, they get upset. Uh, And most of the time when they bring back a classic, they screw it up anyway. Yeah. So this was one of the few times in history, I can't even remember another time, when they brought back a show and they did an extraordinary job uh, I think building the characters, the backstory, and the acting, the quality of the acting, the writing, everything about it I thought was extraordinary. I think as a, as a sci-fi show, standing on its own two feet, it was one of the best shows ever on television. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have wanted, or, uh, did I want to see a continuation series? Yes, I worked very hard for it for about right. 10 years, and my preference would have been to have a continuation because I think that would have been the bridge between the original show uh, with the original audience and built a bridge to the to the future mm-hmm. where that audience could grow and evolve with the show and obviously you would make it darker and edgier and more provocative but you you wouldn't lose the underpinnings of the original show right yeah the key was that's why I did a second coming trailer and uh, you know wrote novels and got involved in the whole Battlestar universe trying to inspire that right and yeah. work towards that but when they chose not to do that, my biggest fear was they're going to really screw it up, but they didn't. They yeah. did something quite extraordinary, and and I loved the fact that they went into the core story. The characters they created were far more complex. Um, I loved it darker and edgier. Uh, for me, as an actor, every actor loves that. I mean, sometimes the roles that the fans love us in the most aren't necessarily the roles that we love playing the most. And the reason why is that sometimes the most fun characters are. Or, you know, um, uh, shows that are um, easier for the fans to, to enjoy and, and, and are less confrontive or less, you know, challenging or less um, uh, or, or depressing or getting into controversial issues, whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And I understand that from the fan uh, perspective. But we as the actor, we want complex, dark, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, something you can really sink your teeth into, right? <laughs> yes, we we search for those kind of storylines so we can act, right? We can get into it and we can bite into the apple, and 
And so, you know, we, we, we love those kinds of things. And so, you know, I always say I love the original story. I love Apollo. I loved all the characters in the show. I love the chemistry. I love the backstory, everything. But I, 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 I was really frustrated with wanting more challenging scenes and material to play. And I, and I know part, much of that was ABC afraid of alienating anybody or being too provocative or edgy mm-hmm. at that yeah. time and yeah. all that other stuff. But nevertheless, I think um, once they developed a new show that garnered a whole new fan family, well, then you had the original fans of the original show, half of which or two-thirds of which were really pissed off and angry, and I was one of them for right. a long time. Yeah. Um, and then you had about a third, like me, that basically were able to cross over and appreciate the new show as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love both shows for different reasons, and, uh, but I think about a third could cross over. But here you've got the original fans, many of which who were upset about the reimagining, and then you have the new fans who are, love the, the new show. And then here you go. You're going to do a third reimagining. Right, yeah. Glenn's got his work cut out for him. Well, now you've got fans from the original show, who are, who are going to, uh, many of which would be angry because, first of all, they're, they're going to do Battlestar for the third time and not use any of their favorite characters or actors. And then the, uh, the new show, uh, they, they just had this last four-year run. They want to see more of the new show. Mm-hmm. And here they're going to go back to the original show, yeah, or the original show premise. So you're going to have fans from two generations who are a little pissed. Yeah, oh yeah, um, it's And true. then you'll have then there's a group of fans, and who are open-minded and willing to look at anything new and interesting. Yeah. Now I have to say that I I love great science fiction. I love the Battlestar story. So I hope it's a mind-blowing, absolutely amazing ride. Mm-hmm. Because I want to see Battlestar go on and be successful. Yeah, I, I would love to see a movie. Movies. I always felt that Battlestar deserved to be in the movie theaters. Oh yeah. I would love to see a movie of the new reimagined version because I think that's an extraordinary version. But mm-hmm. like Star Trek, uh, where they have multiple Star Trek shows, I would also like to see a continuation series of Battlestar from the original. Mm-hmm. But they're not doing that. They're going to not do a continuation. They're going to just do a reimagining of the original. So. I'm hoping whatever it is, I hope they do an extraordinary job so that I can I can uh, I can support it and uh, and enjoy it. Because do you think again, yeah? Think there'll be any chance that we'll see some of the original people in the in the film as cameos? I have no, uh, I absolutely no clue. No I mean, I'm not one for doing cameos unless it's act. See, I I'm I don't have to be the star of the show. I, I, if it's a wonderful role to play that I can connect to and bring my best work to, I would love to do it. So if they, when they offered me Tom Zarek, it was only a one-time shot, but it was such a wonderful role, I couldn't wait to do it. Hmm. I didn't know it was going to turn into a continuing role. Right. So again, I had turned down an earlier offer to do a kind of a cameo on the new reimagined version of Battlestar, and I wasn't even interested in looking at it because I just felt, I always feel cameos are a little bit like we want to use your name, but we don't give a crap about you. Yeah, yeah, or, I see your point. Or your acting or what you can do, okay? So we're just going to give you a little kind of throwaway role and so we can use your name in the advertisement, you know? Yeah. Uh, for me, if somebody values me, then they're going to give me a, a, a role that would be challenging and interesting to play. It doesn't have to be the big role or the starring role or whatever. I'm looking for wonderful scenes to play and a wonderful character to get into. And if they offered me that, then I would do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. People always said, well, how could you do Tom, do, accept the role in the new Battlestar when you fought so hard for the original? I said, first of all, you know, I have always been for a continuation series. I'm still for a continuation mm-hmm. series. I put my time, energy, and money into supporting a continuation yeah. of the original Battlestar. But when they did the new Battlestar, I have to admit that, you know, I saw the first four miniseries. It was hard for me to look at it objectively, you know, because it was so different. Yeah. But once it got into space and I watched a few episodes, I actually started to think, oh, my God, this is really, really good. And I started to appreciate the art, the chemistry, the acting, the writing, all that stuff. And when they offered me a wonderful role to play, what actor in the world wouldn't want to play a wonderful role? Right, yeah. A wonderful, challenging role and especially in a story that I love. Yeah. So I got a chance to do that. So mm-hmm. again, for me, you know, I, I, I look at it as everything is an evolution, and I went from being somebody that was really angry at the studio to one who said, okay, you know, in this instant, I, w- I would have preferred they did a continuation. That's what I fought for. I still think that would have garnered even more fans had they done that and built a bridge for all the original fans to cross over, mm-hmm. but they didn't. But what they did do was quite extraordinary, and I don't think there's enough great science fiction on the air. And here they did an extraordinary science fiction show, and I always tell fans who say, well, I'm not going to watch it, you know, <laughs> because I don't want to betray the original. I go, you're not, you know something? Then you're doing yourself a disservice. Where in the world can you not like uh, two shows? Why, why does you have to love one and hate the other? That's right. Or why do you have to put one up and put the other one down? I mean, I get pissed off at people putting down the original show. You know, mm-hmm. listen, 30 years ago, we did extraordinary things. Oh, yeah. And, and we were up, we had extraordinary pressures and challenges to overcome, okay? We, we didn't have a studio that supported us. They really didn't even understand sci-fi or want sci-fi. Is that why it got canceled? It got canceled because ABC, number one, never wanted it as a series. It was a, supposed to be a seven-hour miniseries, number oh. two. Um, they had seven out of the top ten shows, and if a show was not in the top ten, uh, and it, it, it cost them more money than any other show in history, they couldn't justify that. Mm. They didn't realize at that time that unlike so many other shows, sci-fi is a different genre. Just like Star Trek proved, in syndication, they have more than made all their money oh, back sure. <laughs> from, from, from in syndication from, from Star Trek. The more product they have, the more money they make. Yeah. Ultimately, the bottom line today may mean, okay, you're not making as much money as you might make with another show. In the long run, a successful sci-fi show is going to spawn, you know, fans will buy it in every form that you put it out. Oh, which yeah. They slowly discovered, and then the, the merchandising of games, toys, and all the other things that go along with sci-fi would more than justify a show, even if the show only broke even. It would be justifiable to, to keep it on the air. But they didn't understand all of the economics of it back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither did 20th with, with Star, Star Wars, because why do you think they made a deal with Lucas to give him the merchandising <laughs> and they were taking the profit to the film? Yeah. They got the profit, he got the merchandising. Who do you think won? Right, yeah. That's their way to the bank. <laughs> you know, sure. the studio didn't get it back then. Yeah, yeah, jeez. So, anyway, anyway, it's. Uh, um, I, uh, I I just think that, um, you know, you take it as it comes. And for me, I'm an artist. I'm a, I appreciate life. I appreciate great art, great movies, great story writing. So wherever it happens to be, 
then I nobody is more supportive of me or understanding than me. Mm-hmm. You know, of of any effort or or any artist out there trying to put something together. And and even if I don't like it, I appreciate the effort. But um, obviously, I got very emotionally involved in the Battlestar thing, and it was very hard for me to see them not do the continuation. And now I'm having to deal with that again with the new reimagined version right, of the yeah. original. <laughs> They're not going to use us, and they're not doing a continuation, and that's that's mm. hard yeah. because I honestly believe that the vast majority of fans, plus a new generation, would come on board with a continuation, oh, which yeah. is what I wrote in my books. And you would have you would still have the younger audience because you'd have all our kids born in space who are the same age as we were when the original came, mm-hmm. but you'd have that sense of family, three generations struggling to survive, and uh, I always felt that was the viable way to go. But, you know, studios kind of just want to be uh, clever. And, and I think uh, they kind of, because of the success of Star Trek movie, they think they can just reimagine mm-hmm. uh, the new story with new actors and the fans will all embrace it. Right. And what they don't understand, and again, I'm not saying that if they do a great story and really have some wonderful actors, who knows? Maybe they'll get over the hump and fans will come watch it and I hope that that happens because I want it to be successful yeah but I think the way they're thinking they uh, I think their thinking is a little skewed because I don't think you can compare reimagining the original Battlestar with new actress to the new Star Trek movie because they didn't reimagine the Star Trek with new actors what they did was is they went back to an earlier time frame right yes explored and then they gave us the actors at a younger age. So mm-hmm. in a sense, you didn't feel these actors were replacing your favorite stars. You felt that you got a glimpse into what they might have looked like earlier in their life. You right, know yes. So that's how it worked, and they did such a clever job of it that I love the Star Trek movie. Yeah, yeah, it know? was good, yeah. And I thought they did a great job casting it. But, you know, again... That there's fans are very fickle and very funny, not fickle, but very funny in what they will accept and what they won't. And I just don't think so often the people that make these movies don't really understand the fan agenda, or they think that they can, um, what's the word, uh, talk them into seeing things the way they they want them to mm-hmm. be. And again, yeah. like I said, every once in a blue moon, you know. Uh, I was blown away by what Ron Moore did. I honestly felt that no matter how good the new show was, since they changed it so much, I, I thought the audience would not accept it because in most cases in the past, even when something's good and, and but they've changed things that the fans care about so much, the fans will not accept it. But Ron Moore found did such an extraordinary thing with the characters and the writing and these cliffhangers that people that didn't even know if they liked it yet, were so caught up in the show, or, or resistant to liking it, let's put it that way, they they were forced to come back the next week to watch because the cliffhangers were so powerful and they had to find out what happened. Right. And by the time they came back two or three weeks in a row, they started to get into the story and the characters, and, and he found a way to really get over that hump mm-hmm. and to do what I thought was next to impossible, but yeah. that's the genius of Ron Moore and... David Icke and all the writers of Battlestar and the actors. I mean, they, I think they really pulled off an extraordinary um, thing, um, effort there. And again, that doesn't happen very often. So, again, I'm wishing, uh, you know, Glenn Larson and uh, Brian Singer and all the best and wish, hope they, they find a way to make this very successful because 
I saw the original Battlestar movie on the IMAX, which I put it on the IMAX at the 25th Battlestar Galactic anniversary, which I produced, mm-hmm. co-produced. Yeah. And uh, we played at 12 o'clock midnight. And even with the, you know, the, uh, what you call the, um, uh, oh, God, what do they call I can't think of it now. The, um, oh, God, some of the background art, uh, the matte painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, obviously that, you know, in this new day and age, the matte paintings were a little, needed a little help. Special effects uh, are a lot different. But <laughs> i got to tell you, i got to tell you, the movie held up, and the movie looked extraordinary on yeah. the IMAX. Oh, I'm sure it did. Even though it was made back in 78, 79. So I always felt that Battlestar deserved to be in the movies and would be an extraordinary movie series like Matrix or Star Wars or anything. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I'm hoping this new Battlestar can make it into a movie, you know, succeeds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I hope also that the, uh, I hope they make movies of the new Battlestar, because I love the new Battlestar, too. I love both shows. I honestly love both shows for very different reasons. Yeah. Well, I, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but uh, I just, two quick questions for you. Yeah. Um, on a personal note, what would you say is your favorite all-time TV shows, besides Battlestar Galactica or the Battlestars? You know? Well... I love the show called Family. Yeah. Um, I love um, Cheers. Mm-hmm. I loved, oh, God, um, I mean, I, the, the new shows I love are like The Tudors, Dexter, Breaking Bad, shows like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the great shows on the air. Uh, Rome, which was a series, a miniseries. Yeah. Or a series that was on Showtime, I believe, was Extraordinary, extraordinary mm-hmm. show. Um, trying to think what else. Um, Friends. I love Friends. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah. Love the chemistry of Friends. Love the humor. Love all those characters. Um, oh, Mad About You. Yeah. I thought Mad yeah. About You was amazing, intelligent comedy. Mm-hmm. That I love that show. Yeah. Um, love Helen Hunt, too. What about movies? What's your favorite all-time movies? Well, Blade Runner. Um, uh, my God, the one with Peter O'Toole. Uh, um, Lawrence of Arabia? Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. One of the great shows of all time, great movies of all time. Um, loved um, The Godfather. Classic, um, yeah. It's hard to think. I know, there's so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm a big Braveheart fan, huge Braveheart fan. Mm-hmm. I've said it about 4,000 times. Yeah. yeah. Um, love the Alien, love Alien, Alien. Yeah, yeah those films, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the Lord of the Rings, love that whole series. I love so a lot of sci fi in there. For you, you, you have a. Yeah, soft spot, soft spot for the sci-fi, right? Oh yeah, I yeah. do. I yeah. do. And I, but but you know something, I really love phenomenal acting. Right. If it's a good, and if it's a good story, hey, and the Tootsie, acting's good. Tootsie was was amazing. Um, God, just, I have to go back. There's just so many wonderful, wonderful films, and I can't even think of their names. But great acting, great writing. Um, I, I don't think they make as many great films anymore. It's too many of the films are just done, you know, they, they've they forgotten story, and they just want to mm-hmm. get into all the 
all the fireworks and, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and, and they've forgotten how to really build characters and, and it just seems to me like it's it's you know, they they've 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 forgotten I think they've forgotten in their trying to be cool and new technologies and stuff, they've forgotten great story writing and Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the old movies were some of the best. I loved all the old dance movies. You know, Fred Astaire, Donald right, Connor, yeah. all those movies were great. Yeah. Um, now, what about, uh, you got any conventions you're going to be going showing up at that people can, can meet yeah, you? Yeah, I'm heading, I'm uh, first of all, i got a lot of things going on because I'm doing, believe it or not, I'm doing a new kind of galaxy-style movie called The Protectors. Oh. Uh, it's called The Protectors, written by... Um, um, that's right. I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> what? I wanted to ask you about that. I had yeah, in my notes. by Gary Witta. Gary Witta wrote um, the Book of Eli that Denzel Washington did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wrote this thing, and it's a powerful story that uh, me and Dirk uh, Benedict um, hopefully are going to be in. And yeah. uh, and then there's this. It's the story of these two young fans uh, following, searching for us uh, from this show that was on 20 years earlier. But anyway, it's a really funny script but it's also a script about redemption and what happens to what can happen to actors you know 30 years later and where are they in their lives and mm-hmm. the search for these fans to find them and it's very funny very humorous but something i think every fan whoever loved the show can relate to wow and we're putting that movie together right now in any uh, any idea when it might start uh, production uh, uh, well, I, I think in the next uh, two to three months can probably get this together and fund it and maybe shoot early next year. Wow, that'd be great. So that's the thought about that. I have a new, I, I'm writing a new sci-fi story that I've worked on for 10 years, actually, never pitched it until just recently, called Guam, Great War of Magellan. Guam, mm-hmm. G-W-O-M. Yep. Uh, it's coming online. It's going to be an online social networking game um, in about two months. It's going to be out. Wow. The novel, uh, the first novel for, for Great War of Magellan, Guam, will be coming out next year. Um, I already have an RPG, which we had beta tested, but we want to put out the uh, the final version of that as soon as we can make all the adjustments on that. Um, and then uh, what else? Um, I, I People can go over to my Facebook page. I have both the official Richard Hatch uh, fans book, uh, page, which I had to go to because I had over 5,000 people, and that's mm-hmm, the limit yeah. if you have a personal uh, fan, uh, Facebook page, which I do, and both pages mirror each other, so everybody will get all the same info, uh, no matter which page they're on. But that gives you all the things that I've been working on. I just finished the movie Dead by Friday, which uh, my good friend Rick Lamont uh, wrote and directed in Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, hoping to work with again. And um, and then I host cruises and I teach and lecture. I, I go to Utah, Denver, Aspen. I teach and lecture and do acting symposiums, writing symposiums. And then I do uh, life um, coaching. I actually, it's something I've done for 25 years in between my projects that I do. Um, and I, I go do them on my cruises. I have the next cruise coming up on February 15th. People can go over to richardhatchcruise.com and find out about that. Okay, and we'd love we'll put to a link have, to that. And we have fans from all over the world coming on that, and we have so much fun you wouldn't believe it. It goes out of Fort Lauderdale February 15th. Um, and then what else? Um, I'm working on so many things. I mean, I'm. I know you're busy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I love developing things. Oh, I'm going to direct this project in Utah. This film project that a good, uh, um, wonderful actress named Sue Rowe, 
who actually uh, orchestrates some of the seminars that I do in uh, in um, Utah, and I'm going to be directing that in latter latter part of October. Well, Richard, I want to thank you so much. This this has been great. Uh, so anyway, that, that's the name of that tune. So <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for taking the time. This is, I mean, you, you know, and we'll put links to to your different things, uh, Facebook and everything, so people can get to you. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much. Great talking to you, and so say we all to everybody. And I want to thank once more Richard Hatch for taking the time to talk to us. Great guest. He was Apollo on Battlestar Galactica. Great show. Always love that show. And, of course, he was involved with so many other things after that. Great guy. Thank him very much for taking the time. And I want to remind you that uh, our I Am Iron Man contest is going on. We've teamed up with Redbox to give you some DVD rentals. And all you got to do is go to onscreenandbeyond.com. Get all the information on that because Iron Man is coming out on Tuesday. And Redbox is uh, 24,000 locations nationwide. And you can rent them for a buck or a buck fifty for a Blu-ray. So uh, check those out. Get all the information about the contest. It's at onscreenandbeyond.com. So, until next week, this is Brian Zemrak. Take care.